I'm Scott Walker. Welcome to another edition of Freedom Fighters. Of all things, we're here in Houston, Texas. That's right, we're in the free state of Texas. Why are we here? Well, we're having the 43rd annual National Conservative Student Conference. That means conservative college students from all over the country, from 40 states in the District of Columbia, are assembled right here in Houston, Texas. And you know what? We're talking about freedom. Well, not just about freedom. In fact, yesterday morning I joined with students, and we've had a great array of, of folks all throughout the week. I've been with our students Monday night, all throughout the day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and here today at the final day, Friday. And uh, it's been exciting. We started out with Ben Shapiro. We had what I thought was a phenomenal address from Kellyanne Conway. Mike Pence, the former vice president, joined us Wednesday night. Last night we had Congressman Kat Kamek, who's a new member from Florida, the co-chair of our Free Speech Caucus, along with our good friend, Congressman Jim Jordan. And tonight, our last speaker at dinner will be a great friend of YAF, that of U.S. Senator Ted Cruz. How can you not finish with a great Texan here in this free state? Throughout the week, we've had all sorts of other wonderful speakers, not just elected officials, although we've had uh, people like the Attorney General of Texas, uh, Ken Paxton, who's been here. We've had uh, Byron Donalds and Chip Roy, and uh, later today we'll hear from Dan Crenshaw, so a number of great members of the House of Representatives. But we've asked, had also so many great professors, thought thinkers, because for these conferences, as motivating as these speakers are, as inspirational as they are, what we're really trying to do is train the next generation of freedom fighters. See, it's not just about getting people pumped up at these conferences. It's about sending them back with the skills and the training and the materials in many cases to be effective freedom fighters on their own campuses, in their commu own communities, and ultimately someplace in their own workplaces. That's what Young America's Foundation is all about. So when I got a chance to talk to him from the stage yesterday, I honed in on three things, three things worth sharing with all of you as well. The first was about courage. Yeah, courage. You see, I remember back my days in college, was there a liberal bias amongst most of our left-wing professors? For sure. And even my own sons, 27 and 26, thinking back a few years ago when they were college, that had shifted. That had shifted to more of a, a pushback where there was a dominance of liberal belief. But even in the last year or two, particularly during this pandemic, we've seen outright cancel culture. Time and time again, we hear from young people at this conference and those we work with all across the country who say, I can't even be heard. It's no longer just a matter of worrying about what my grade's going to be from that left-wing professor. It's fellow students. It's embedded activists. It's this pushback that if you don't raise your fist and join with the social justice warriors, somehow you're going to be an outcast. That's part of their efforts. I, I shared, even though it might be different in scale, I can relate. You see, back years ago, when we pushed our major reforms in Wisconsin, for me and for the lawmakers who joined with me, they tried to intimidate us. At one point, there were over 100,000 protesters in our Capitol and around our Capitol Square. They weren't there for hours or even days. They were there for weeks, nearly a month, before they were ultimately forced out of the Capitol. Why? Well, there were some that were from Wisconsin, but eventually we saw people bust and flowing in from all across the country, from some of the big government union bosses and liberal activist groups around this nation. They were following through on a practice they've used successfully, sadly, in many other places across the country, and that is intimidation. They want to make you feel marginalized and minimized. That's what they do to our college students on a, on a different scale for sure. I was thinking about this as well because yesterday when I spoke to the students, I said it wasn't just me. There are plenty of other examples. In fact, 40 years ago, just this yesterday, on, on the 5th of August, 1981, Ronald Reagan fired nearly 13,000 air traffic controllers. Why? 
Well, because the union two days earlier had announced they were going on strike. The reason he fired them was because he had warned them. They had 48 hours to return to work because under federal statutes, the law was clear. The law was absolutely clear. It was illegal to go on strike if you're an air traffic controller. All but about 1,300 of them failed to return. And so Ronald Reagan not only fired them, he prohibited them, permanently prohibited from rejoining federal employment in that position. Now, he didn't do that out of spite. Actually, the union that represented the air traffic controllers was one of the only federal employee unions in the nation at the time that actually had endorsed Ronald Reagan in the 1980 election. And it certainly wasn't personal. I mean, long before Reagan was in politics, he had been the, the vice president and eventually the president of the Screen Actors Guild. So he understood what it meant to be a part of a union. But he also understood more than anything that the rules are the rules. And the law was clear. These air traffic controllers going on strike were in direct violation of federal statutes. They were given a warning, and when they failed to comply, Ronald Reagan terminated them. It was a bigger deal than you think today, because at that time, I think the first day, some 7,000 flights were canceled all across the nation. This could have ended in a horrible situation. But the president and his team put together a plan. They worked with the military and brought in outside contractors. They found a way to piece it together and ultimately were successful in getting this nation flying again. And it sent a powerful message, not only around the country. Paul Volcker, the Federal Reserve Chair at the time, said it, it had a significant impact on taming down inflation and sending a message to other aggressive union leaders across the country in the private sector uh, that there needed to be more balance in dealing with their employers as well. It made a tremendous difference when it came to economic policy. But probably even more important at the time was the fact it sent a message around the world there was a new sheriff in town. Ronald Reagan was not to be messed with. In fact, Tip O'Neill, the Speaker of the House back then, said a few weeks after uh, the, uh, the PACO uh, union was decertified and, and the uh, folks uh, were terminated as the President had promised, he made a visit to the Soviet Union and the Soviet leaders clearly took note. George Soltz, as was told in Peggy Nonin's book, actually said this is probably one of the most significant foreign policy decisions the president ever made, even though it didn't have anything to do directly with foreign policy. It sent a message to the Kremlin and all over the world that Ronald Reagan was serious. All the way back to years later, as outlined in the great book Reagan at Reykjavik, you can see that style continued all the way through even that summit in Iceland when Ronald Reagan didn't back down. He pushed for the Strategic Defense Initiative. And, and made it known that he was so serious about it, not only was he willing to stand up, up for it for American citizens, but he's even willing to share it with the Soviet Union. He backed out of that summit because he didn't get what he wanted, and in the end, even though at the time, the media and many in politics criticized him for walking away from what they claimed was a good deal. Ronald Reagan knew, much like the Chinese Communist Party today, that you can't trust communists. They're ultimately going to back away from the promises. Instead, he pushed it far enough that it ultimately led to the fall of communism in the old Soviet Union and the Soviet bloc countries. And there are millions of people around the world who are thankful today because of his leadership. That was a great example of courage. And for our young people, it's courage to stand up and speak out for free speech. It's courage to push back. And one of the other things I talked about is not just courage, but love. You know, so many times on our college campuses, but in our society and even in the media, they make the claim that somehow conservatives are divisive. The opposite is true. Look at the facts. 
Every time a liberal gets threatened by any point a conservative raises in any sort of discourse or debate, what do they do? They start calling you names. You're a sexist, a racist, Neanderthal, transphobic, you name it. They've got a term for it. Doesn't matter what the subject is, doesn't even matter if you're on topic, they're gonna call you some sort of ism. In contrast, as conservatives, we shared with the students yesterday, as I wanna share with all of you, our retort, our response, our rebuttal can't be to put our own divisive rhetoric back in their face, but rather to match it with love. Simply put, we love America. We love America so much, we love America so much that we wanna make sure that every person in this country, every person, black or white, young or old, rich or poor, doesn't matter whether you are born here or legally came here from somewhere else around the world, everyone in America should have access to the same freedom and the same opportunity that we inherited from our parents and our grandparents. I often say we live in a country filled with privilege, but it's not white privilege. It's red, white, and blue privilege. I just talked to a young man this morning who, who talked about coming to this country from a small country in Africa. Yesterday, I talked to someone who'd come here from Venezuela, who actually told us about uh, being aspired to, to come and be a part of this movement because he listened to Ben Shapiro on YouTube, even in Venezuela. He was so proud to be here in America and so proud to be at this conference. All too often, I just wish more and more and more of these woke young people in our college campuses across America could have the insights these students do. We saw the, the many Cubans standing out in front of the Communist Party headquarters in Cuba a few weekends ago chanting, Cuba is no longer yours. I just wish that so many of the rest of our fellow citizens would understand the failures of communism like they do. When I see freedom fighters in the streets of Hong Kong over the last year waving the American flag and singing our national anthem, I just wish more Americans would appreciate the freedoms that we have here versus the problems with communism and socialism around the world. There's a reason why people get in, in shark-infested waters and float on barely, barely workable rafts uh, from, from many miles from places like Cuba to the south, southern tip of Florida. It's the reason why when I was a kid, we used to watch the Olympics, and one of the things that routinely happened was you'd get a defector from the old Soviet Union or East Germany or other places filled with communism. None of those things happened in reverse. No one ever defected away from the United States. People didn't float in a raft on their way over to Cuba. Why? Because those places were filled with oppression and poverty and despair. Those are the false promises of communism and Marxism and socialism. Instead, people cling to the idea, that idea that came all the way back, declared on the 4th of July, 1776, we talked about the American promise. Have we always lived up to it? No. The founders certainly weren't perfect. Last time I'm aware of anyone perfect on this planet was more than 2,000 years ago. But they sought to create a more perfect nation, a nation where everyone is equal, where God gives us our rights, not the government. And those rights include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's worth fighting for. Courage, love, and freedom. Those are just a few of the important things that we're talking about, not just at this conference, but with students in college and high school and even younger all across the country. I'm Scott Walker. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep fighting for freedom.